0: Jonas Brothers are here, they're out there somewhere. Sasha and Malia are huge fans, but uh, boys don't get any ideas. I have two words for you, predator (laughs) drones. You will never see it coming.
1: This show just by encouraging everyone to donate to mediaroots.org, we're now offering little little prizes for anyone who donates. Um, forty dollars, I'm gonna offer a free eight by ten print from my website abbymartin.org. Also, um, Robbie's gonna offer a free vinyl or CD from recordlabelrecords.org with the forty dollars and over donation. Um, and if you donate eighty dollars and over, we're gonna offer pretty much double that. So two. Pieces of music and a piece of art, 11 by 14 print. So just a little bit of incentive to donate to grassroots causes. Um, We're completely independent and we'll never take corporate money or anything like that. So this is going to be kind of like a little variety show because there's just so much stuff going on. And we just kind of wanted to talk about a lot of the news that's happening right now.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of underreported stories um, happening right now just because the bin laden propaganda is just full throttle still i mean yeah. now we're just hearing a week-long um news deluge of how he jacked off with personal lubricant and what porn he watched and bill maher's crack cackling jokes about you know bin laden masturbating richard clark is too it's yeah it's just a giant insane.
1: psyop pretty <laughs> much i mean i, I feel like it's 9 12 again because i i don't have television i canceled my cable a long time ago so i'm not infiltrated like a lot of people are by this incessant propaganda from coming from the corporate media, but um, just being out in grocery stores and, and seeing all of the newspapers, all of the magazines pretty much surrounded by Bin Laden propaganda everywhere you go. So even if you don't have television, you're still surrounded by the propaganda and yeah, just shopping or whatever.
2: Yeah, you see it everywhere. I mean, it's been a while since a news story has dominated the headlines everywhere. Like this. I mean, probably not since 9-11. Yeah, it's
1: amazing. It's just like, why is this the most important event going on in the world? For the for the last two weeks, all we've been seeing is just Bin Laden footage and just propaganda coming out. So there's nothing else going on in the world. It's like the front cover of Newsweek, Time Magazine, Bin Laden with crosshairs, Bin Laden with an X through him. It's just like, my God.
2: Right now, we should start by talking about... Um, the rapture. Yeah, I mean, I guess talk about the rapture. Um, it's May twenty first. First was it actually 21st. May twenty first? Yeah. Okay.
1: At approximately six p.m., all the Christians are going to be saved. That believe in the rapture, who are true, true believers in Jesus Christ, uh, <laughs> will be raptured. So, everyone, watch out. If you're driving on the freeway, you might want to be careful because when the Christians leave their cars, it's going to cause a little bit of chaos on the road. So just be wary, guys. <laughs> be wary. You have about three days left to be saved. If this broadcast comes out on time.
2: <laughs> yeah, and first of all, where do they even get that date from? I mean, I don't know any Christians who, are, who believe that date is real. And I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of really fundamentalist, just born again Christians who do believe it, that they're going to be raptured. But I'd like to think it's not representative of most Christians, modern Christians. I, yeah. I hope it's not.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know any Christians who really believe in the rapture. As a real thing,
2: yeah, or or in that sense, I mean, I don't know. It's but it is really, really strange.
1: It is really weird. It's like, how the hell did they get this date, May twenty first? I mean, I thought the end of the world was going to be on December twelfth, two thousand twelve. <laughs> Where did this come <laughs> from? Like, aren't the, did you see all those billboards though? This yeah. one guy like must have had millions of dollars because there's just billboards rented out all across California and probably other states too that just says Judgment Day's coming, May twenty first. Watch out. Bizarre.
2: Yeah, they're I mean, going along with this kind of weird born again Christian mentality, this this these these weird beliefs is Blackwater. What was revealed through that um it was revealed in a sworn affidavit by two former Blackwater employees that Eric Prince, the owner of Blackwater and his top executives in the company all believed themselves to be a modern version of the Christian Crusaders. They saw themselves fighting a religious holy war against Muslims. In our research, looking for a little bit of information about this Virginia case that the sworn off of David was made in we found over 10 different incidences where Blackwater employees were either charged with shooting innocent civilians or people testified against them shooting against innocent civilians, but charges were never brought to them. I mean, it, there's so many examples yeah, of just so rampant murders.
1: I mean, it, it's crazy that these employees within Blackwater came out and said that there was conspiracy to murder fellow employees to cover up stuff. I mean, conspiracy to murder is a serious accusation. and The fact that they were never held accountable or really that Eric Prince was never held accountable for these horrendous implications is, is absolutely appalling. Um, Eric Prince is a murderous thug. Um, it's it's amazing. And so the reason we're even talking about this is because it just came out that the Crown Prince of Abu Dhabi, which is part of the United Arab Emirates, just hired Eric Prince, CEO and founder of Blackwater, now Z to form an 800-person battalion, a secret private army in Abu Dhabi, to patrol the streets, to suppress any uprisings that happen, um, to protect the the country from potential terrorist attacks. I mean, this is a very frightening, dystopian view of a potential future where, well, well, actually not potential, it looks like it's happening already. It just is scary to foresee that countries... Governments, foreign governments can now hire Blackwater as just a private mercenary army just to patrol their country.
2: Yeah, and when you say they can hire Blackwater, I almost take them, I mean, I know you probably didn't mean that literally, but I, I take a more cynical, much more cynical view than that, which it's, it's it's yeah. So now no longer do these do these countries need to be invaded by American troops and forces to to have our our forces available to them. They can now rent for hire, basically an American influenced imperialistic Christian crusading private quote private security force. That's basically just a renegade military force that doesn't have the same uh, rules and punishments and responsibilities that the normal military has. I mean, so they're free to do whatever scarier. yeah, they're free to do whatever they want. Yeah. So this is what the American new imperialism has turned into is that you can now rent from this this cabal of the defense industry. And it's almost a like the blame force. is put
1: on no one. Well, you can't blame the American government, you can't blame Abu Dhabi. These corporations are just completely held above the law and they're just acting just individually now just selling out to different nations I mean it's just it's fucking crazy man I can't even believe it I can't picture just a scarier corporation to be running amok quote-unquote suppressing like revolutionary dissent in other countries I really can't fathom being more terrified of any other entity than Blackwater based on their their sordid history um, and Eric Prince is a psychotic person He's come out saying that he's on a Christian crusade, that he, I mean, they call themselves like names by the Knights of Templar. I mean, these people are very, they adhere to a very bizarre worldview that's that's very marginalized. So another scary ruling that just came out that just kind of reminds me that we're living in an ever-expanding police state is that the Supreme Court just ruled seven to one that police can now break into your home without a warrant. I feel like they've pretty much been doing this already based on like shoddy evidence for a while, but now just to rule that it's constitutionally pretty much okay for police to do this just shows that there's just a slippery slope in the law. I mean, police can just enter your home without a warrant based on something they suspect at the door. It says that they can knock loudly, and if they suspect that you're destroying evidence inside like flushing drugs down the toilet or I don't know. I mean, that that's the whole thing. It's like, what, what constitutes suspicion for the police to be able to enter your home? The flushing of a toilet, loud walking throughout the house, doors closing inside. I mean, That doesn't really make any sense to me. It just seems like it's another power grab for the establishment and for the cops and really putting way too much authority and trust into the police force.
2: Yeah, and it was an 8-to-1 ruling with um, Ginsburg being the only dissenting voice, the singular dissenting voice in this case. And basically what this means to me, I think most people would agree with this, you know, without having any training in audio, is that you can't decide... What you're hearing through a door, you can't, I mean, there's a few instances where maybe you can, you can say, okay, someone's destroying evidence, you know, I guess, I mean, or someone's like trying to run away from the scene if they hear like, you know, someone breaking through the window or something. But I mean, you cannot identify what's happening through a closed door. Through audio alone, it's impossible. Right, right. Visual identification is one thing, and as as we learned with Stephen Frenda on our as our guest, is that even that is troublesome. But now they're allowing cops to make a decision where they can, where it's claimed to be a reasonable search and seizure, where they can break down your door and violate your privacy yeah, without blatant, a warrant.
1: Blatant violation of the, fir- of the Fourth Amendment. It's just, it's really. It's irrational logic to me. I mean, anything can constitute a suspicion. The rattling of something inside. You can be like, oh, someone's scurrying around trying to hide something. I mean, it's just so ridiculous. And the whole drug war thing in its premise is just faulty. Yeah, These blanket (laughs) arrests and just arresting people based on marijuana. It's just, it's such a ridiculous war that we're waging, and it's pretty much against just the poor in this country, and we're just filling up prisons. Prisons are now owned by corporations, and we see corporations who own prisons drafting anti-immigration policies that are going to put more immigrants in prison to profit them. I mean, it's just, it's this insane revolving door.
2: If you didn't think the drug war had gone far enough before, really look at what this ruling means. Ginsburg's actual statement, uh, she was the lone dissenting voice, and just very quickly, that means that Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan the two Obama Supreme Court appointees the supposed liberal you know new justices one of them is hispanic and then one of them is supposedly a lesbian and we would assume you know wrongly that they might have more liberal positions on things like this but they both voted in favor um the dissenting opinion by Ginsburg her actual statement was quote the court today arms the police with a way routinely to dishonor the Fourth Amendment's warrant requirement in drug cases, in lieu of presenting their evidence to a neutral magistrate, police officers may now knock, listen, then break the door down, never mind that they had ample time to obtain a warrant. I dissent from the court's reduction of the Fourth Amendment's force.
1: Boom. Smackdown.
2: So... I mean you could play devil's advocate and be like oh well well, obviously if they smelled marijuana outside because the actual details of the ruling you can read that this this case was originally about the cops smelling pot outside this right. person's apartment and you could play devil's advocate and be like well they smelled weed outside the apartment obviously they were doing something illegal inside so why shouldn't you allow the cops to you know Circum- based on
1: circumvent the law <laughs> or yeah
2: based on hearing them destroying evidence break down the door because obviously they were doing something illegal inside but what, what you don't realize is this opens the door door for a cop to basically say well I heard them destroying evidence inside. Right. How can you
1: just prove that in right. court it's completely you
2: can't I mean you can't just prove that a cop heard something.
1: And this is all based on marijuana which is so ridiculous yeah. I mean, it's just insane.
2: Yeah and let's let's say for example there are two two cops there and you have one cop to back up the other cop's story in a situation where a cop claims he sees something and then acts upon it like he sees them destroying evidence okay but Unless a cop has his ear to the door with another cop, let's say best case scenario for getting like a, 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 an audible range. Both of them have their ears to the door, literally, like their heads right. against a door. That would be the only way at best that you can possibly prove that the cop heard something because there'd be someone else there to back it up well but it
1: also if <laughs> only if someone said like we're about to destroy drugs or something I mean because seriously if you could just base it on any it's sound totally that you're hearing it's totally ambiguous yeah. so and unless cop... someone's inside the house saying I'm about to destroy cocaine or I'm about to destroy marijuana then I can understand but I mean think about the slippery slope of this ruling though like you said I mean this opens the, the floodgate pretty much for cops to just break into anyone's home lie. yeah
2: and it and it's totally is based on the the eight people who ruled in favor of this. They're basing their ruling on the, tr- the honesty of the police officers. They're assuming that police officers are going to be honest and not right. after the fact, after they've broken the law and broken down someone's door without a warrant. Say, well, I heard uh, I heard them destroying um, all their marijuana plants inside. I mean, I heard that. I mean, who? What cop isn't going to say that? And you can't prove him wrong. Right. It's opens. Right. Right. It's, it, it's
1: it, your word against the cops, and who's who's going to believe yeah. who?
2: And and on top of that, let's say if the cop is honest, let's just assume it's an honest cop, and he's trying to do his job the best possible way you're going to hear what you want to hear. If you're all amped up and you're, and you think someone has drugs behind that door, you're going to, your your brain, it, yeah. Your the human brain works in, it perceives what it thinks it's perceiving. Right. You don't know what's going on behind that door. If you hear some rustling going on, you're gonna be like, oh my God, they're just, they're opening their right. bags and they're dumping them in the toilet. Right. You don't know. Your brain tricks you into thinking you're hearing certain things. I mean, that's just, that's best case scenario though. Yeah, you know? it's like as
1: if we don't have enough problems with cops already, just and people don't know their rights. I mean, we're not really taught the rights that we have when cops pull us over and search our vehicles. It's just like this is just one more step giving cops just this far reaching power, and people already feel demoralized enough to not even know how to react when a cop. Comes to their door if they're having a party or whatever. It's just, I just know so many people who have just like, they don't know what to do. And cops just take advantage of that.
2: Yeah, and let's say there's like a party or a crowd at your at your house or there's like a music happening and it just sounds like a noise coming out of your right. apartment, like a crowd noise that you can't even decipher. It's almost like a cop is looking at a Rorschach test and he's going <laughs> to hear, I mean, he'll hear whatever he wants. He'll right. be like, oh yeah, I hear someone destroying evidence there. Run in there and yeah. get it. I mean, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable to me that the ruling would have been this drastic. You yeah, know?
1: and that this many people ruled for, or like ruled in favor of it yeah it's really really scary it's a scary precedent i just feel like every day just hearing these blatant violations of our fourth amendment and just our rights in general i mean now they're searching cell phones at traffic stops in michigan it's like when is this gonna end i mean when do people stop complying with this insanity when do we stand up and say no more you know <laughs>
2: <laughs> i mean it's it's just it's interesting to me though that people will say that you know this isn't zirconian, and this is this is This is okay. I mean, when you look at the percentage of our population that we have in prison, more than any other country in the world, I mean, we're number one in that regard. Um, And it's such a high percentage of those prisoners are from drug arrests, possession, or intent to sell. Yeah. No, no violent um, crimes committed whatsoever. Um, And, and people just ignore it. They look the other way. I mean...
1: This whole thing is just reminding me, we talk about this a lot on our episodes, but just the underlying, like the pre-propaganda that's instilled in our nation about everything, pretty much the drug war. It's like, why don't we talk, instead of just talking about, like, the, for example, this ruling, I mean, this this blatant like power grab from the police force that the Supreme Court just ruled in favor of, this is just a perfect example of... The fact that we don't talk about why the drug war is wrong in the first place and why it is that these private corporations own these prisons and have an obvious conflict of interest in putting people in prison and how our politicians work with them to draft the legislation. I mean, all of this propaganda, like we need to be fighting the drug war. Why? It's just such a waste of taxpayer money. It's been proven that it doesn't curb drug use at all. It just is like it's just I don't know.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's probably been proven the best in um Glenn Greenwald's statistical analysis of the Portugal drug laws from oh, yeah. 2001 until 2010. When I think it was maybe 2009, yeah, when they decriminalized all drugs and they watched the crime rates drop. They watched all these different related crime rates mm-hmm. drop too, like simultaneously like even violent yeah. crime dropped. It's
1: pretty much like everything across the board dropped.
2: Yeah, and um and it got so underreported. I mean, you never saw or heard about it again. I mean, it went it was like a tiny whimper. You know, the yeah. story had no impact at all.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's It should amazing. be one of
2: the most talked about stories in I yeah, don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. Just it's Drug it's,
1: War Fail. Portugal yeah. proves drug war is a total f- farce. Um, the pre-propaganda going along the the GOP media frenzy around the Republican run up for whoever's going to be the candidate for the 2012 elections is just absurd. I mean, it's, I feel like I'm watching a carnival. First you have, first you have Donald Trump in, you know, getting all the, the media mix. attention. Yeah. For, all the media for attention. months and
2: months and months. I mean, months and months the and focus, months. even Obama was acting like, you know, he was his nemesis or, yeah. Or
1: something. And then like, and then interrupts his interrupts, um, you know his his show to the talk about Bin Laden's death. It's just like, oh my god, this is just so. It's like a fucking play. Um, and then Donald Trump, of course, drops out after all the media attention just whoring him out for months. And now you have Newt Gingrich in the game. I'm sorry, this man hasn't held political office for like a decade. How is he relevant at all? He's, his his history is rife with scandal and corruption. He's a piece of shit.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's weird it's weird to see how disorganized. And how chaotic the run-up to the election has been um, you know just the debates just officially started on Fox News for the Republican primaries but all this time before this we've seen nobody officially announce their candidacy I think besides the four people who are in the primaries who include Ron Paul or sorry five people Ron Paul Herman Cain Gary Johnson who the hell is Gary Johnson yeah. who are they? Tim Polenti I mean I've heard his name before but I have no idea what he's done who he is Rick Santorum I don't know anything about him except there are rumors that he smokes quite a bit of salvia divinorum <laughs> um, and that's just something that I've heard through the grapevine is that he just smokes 20x you know sometimes all day long um, but uh, so those are the five people who are in the Republican, and then. Mitt Romney. Um,
1: yeah, why he wasn't even he? in the debate? Why wouldn't yeah. he go?
2: To, and how could you, as an honest voter, you know, who, who's feel, who's principled in what you vote for, be back someone who doesn't enter into a debate with the rest of the candidates? It's, it's like cheating in a game. It's like waiting until the very end of the race and then like jumping in and crossing the finish line.
1: Yeah, it's like almost because he's just popular now because of the 2008 run up. He like doesn't have to debate at all. I mean, yeah. and, and the debates were such a joke anyway. Just to be clear, we're talking about these five candidates for the GOP and they were in the the first debate. Mitt Romney was not, um, Newt Gingrich was not, and Sarah Palin hasn't announced that she's running yet, but she might jump in and, you know, provide some more insurance for Obama to be re-elected, but, yeah, the GOP, the first debate was such a ridiculous show. It was like a dog and pony show. The only voice of sanity was Ron Paul and even, I mean, and we'll get into this, this whole propaganda. It's
2: actually kind of weird because Ron Paul... Once again stole the spotlight and was like one of the only people not on the same page as the Republican Party But he was probably like the most well-known candidate there. I mean relatively speaking I mean, I honestly never really seen any of the other people there You know, I mean this guy Herman Cain I know that he substitutes for Sean Hannity's radio show sometimes (laughs) and at the time (laughs) when I totally
1: Qualifies him to be the United States and he's also the CEO
2: of Godfather's Pizza. Great. He says um But it's funny to me that they would choose someone like that because it's like an even more black, you know, guy than Michael Steele. You know, he's like an even more like classic. And and he
1: was (laughs) the only person that said that um, he wouldn't have shown a picture of Obama or (laughs) Osama. (laughs) (laughs) We did it again. We did it again. Uh, We got him. Um, He's the only one who raised his hand when it said. uh, Yeah. I mean, first, let's talk about the absurd questioning. This is, this is a debate for the GOP candidate for to run the United States of America, okay? These are all presidential candidates. All right, the first question was, I don't even know who it was directed to, but it was directed to one of the candidates and, and the, the presenter was just like, do you still think Obama's weak on terror now that he killed Osama Bin Laden? Okay, so right off the bat, you're setting a tone that like it's all about Bin Laden, apparently. It's brought back to the war on terror, just like you predicted, remember? In the Bin Laden episode, you were just like, "I have a prediction that this is going to rou- This is going to be like the rallying cry for the GOP to come just."
2: Or the supposed killing of of Osama Bin Laden um, was a perfect in for the the primaries, the Republican primaries to start and the election to actually kick off because it gives them a transition to go into the election with. They had no message before, but this actually gives them all something to latch on to. You know. Together, mm-hmm. um, before it was completely scattered. I mean, it was, seemed like it was all about the birth certificate again for the last few months because of, of of Donald Trump. I mean,
1: so the moderator of the debate then asks the candidates, you know, there's there's evidence that we've accumulated through harsh interrogation techniques um, of finding the location of Osama bin Laden. So, so would you support in certain cases, particular cases, using harsh interrogation techniques against terror? Suspects like waterboarding, like waterboarding, yeah, and all of them except Ron Paul and another guy raised their hand um, to say that they would, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, and then Ron Paul's dissent was, well, it doesn't work, you know, it doesn't work, which, which is fine. I mean, obviously, it doesn't work. I mean, someone tortured will say whatever they think that their captors want them to say, but. To me, it's just really funny that that's what the debate has come down to with a lot of people, especially among Republicans, like almost to try to get Republicans to not believe in torture. It's like, well, torture doesn't work, so we shouldn't do it. Instead of saying, well, torture is extremely evil and immoral and disgusting and horrendous, that we're even sitting here talking about it as something to do. I mean, we shouldn't (laughs) do that at all. I It's so
1: barbaric. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the it's the it's the whole premise of the the debate is based on falsehoods. It's like, first of all, even if torture did work, it's still completely immoral and despicable, and we shouldn't be doing it ever. You know, as a nation of based on morals, apparently, why are we yeah. torturing in the first place?
2: Yeah, it's it's. Very I mean, strange and, and yeah, me. the
1: whole the whole torture doesn't work thing. No, it doesn't work. And the fact that Ron Paul is the only one who said that, even even said that. Um, is shocking. So it shows you that all these GOP candidates just totally believe that we should be waterboarding terror suspects, even though it's never been proven that any credible um, evidence has ever come out of interrogation. At all. Yeah. And no, it's totally untrue that we found out the location of Osama bin through harsh interrogation techniques. That's ridiculous. Propaganda coming out about Bin Laden. Right after we did the broadcast a couple weeks ago, uh, that video came out like a couple days later of inside the compound. It was just this the little treasure, old man, trove you know, the treasure trove, the treasure trove, of Im- all the videos, magical oracle that they're just infinitely pulling things from to justify everything they want to do.
2: Yeah, it is like an oracle or or a Rosetta Stone or something that just <laughs> lets them seriously look. Add all this information like, well, we can say that there's going to be a terror attack on railways because of this and this and this and this. We've never seen any of this information. We've never seen this diary or whatever they found. We haven't seen the actual unedited videos. The audio tracks are missing from all of them. Um, And they say they did it because they don't want to incite rage in the Muslim world. Um, So what? Killing him and then dumping his body in the ocean? I, I just don't understand what all the information they're giving is completely contradictory. It's bizarre. Uh it's just designed to keep perpetuating this weird dynamic of hatred towards someone who's probably already dead, uh, just for the purpose of getting us to buy into the war on terror more. Yeah. And now we're talking about, uh, uh, Osama's lubrication that he uses to masturbate with.
1: Yeah. I mean, so yeah, basically they're saying that they found, um, a giant stash of pornography that he wasn't a real Muslim. Um, and and just it's just it's just ridiculous it reminds me of the Bradley Manning stuff about how he was gay and loved Lady Gaga it's like why is this relevant at all I mean, yeah. it's, it's just really bizarre that this is even being discussed it's just like all over the media yeah just they want
2: to make people laugh at him and you know think he was a you know, a contradictory Muslim or whatever. And then it was funny. I saw some comments where somebody's like, yeah, this makes sense because the hijackers, uh, they drank alcohol or maybe it was Bill Maher saying oh, it or something, but no. he's like, yeah, that makes sense because the hijackers drank alcohol. So they weren't real Muslims either. So, so which way is it? Cause it's like Bill Maher and people yeah. like him and people who buy into the war on terror often say, Really devout Muslims—they have a, a, a string of um, Islamic fundamentalist terrorism go- running through them. But like at the same time, all these examples of quote Islamic terrorists that we have aren't real Muslims, supposedly. You that, know, yeah, drink, yeah, yeah. they that's, drink that's alcohol That's a great point. That's it doesn't a great even make sense. I mean, it it's so—it's it's it's like holding two simultaneous what beliefs.
1: Are we trying to push? Yeah, <laughs> it's
2: so weird to me.
1: That is hilarious. That is so funny. Yeah. I mean, we're supposed to believe on one hand that these people are like dogmatic, psychotic uh, fundamentalists who just adhere strictly to the Quran and that it's like this hate-filled holy book and that's told to kill people and the government propaganda that comes out is like these people like had prostitutes and pornography and it's just, it's really fascinating.
2: And I also love how the Pentagon just totally contradicts themselves and their own tactics. they usually say, oh, we can't reveal how we catch so-and-so. We can't reveal this because of national security. Um, we can't let you try this person in a normal court with a lawyer because of national security. will reveal too much information. But yet they can release press releases to the entire world media about how um, we needed to make Osama bin Laden look bad by, like, manipulating the videotapes and, like... Taught, we, it, we admitted the Pentagon's like, yeah, we want to make Muslims like not believe in him anymore and show that he was like really like vain watching himself on TV. And that he was basically just like an idiot. So it's like, you're admitting your hand, like on the entire world media that you're trying to like, psy-ops so, yeah. the Muslim world. Like, <laughs> yeah. what do you, where are your priorities? lie? Like, where, where, What was going on? It's all so strange.
1: And another really interesting thing that I didn't actually realize, um, when the videotape came out, I thought, oh wow, this is actually surveillance footage that we shot of Bin Laden like watching himself. I mean, first of all, it's like this weird back angle of this old man wrapped in a blanket watching TV. That doesn't really show me anything. Second of all, that's not surveillance footage at all. That's a video that we supposedly found in his compound of just himself watching television.
2: Yeah, someone filmed him watching himself on TV apparently. That's just bizarre. is. And the rest of the videos they found were all um, videos from the same sessions as the videos we've already seen. So like, so really the only new ish picture of Osama bin Laden that we have is the picture of him watching TV with his back (laughs) to the camera. I mean, we haven't seen any pictures of him.
1: Wrapped in a potato sack. (laughs) It's so strange. <laughs> it's the most bizarre psyop ever. And then and then it comes just slowly trickles out that, oh, they found all these these intelligence reports that he was plotting terrorist attacks there. That proves that he was still an active role in Al Qaeda.
2: Yeah, there's they're saying they're saying two simultaneous contradictory things. You're like, Well this proves he still had a huge operational role in Al Qaeda and he was like st- he was gonna like strike back at the US like at any time and he was connected with everybody in Al Qaeda. But yet we kill him because it's like you know, it's like he's, a, he's an evil, he's an evil man. And, and, and Obama says we need to have our head examined if we don't think he should have been killed. So instead of capturing him, if he was the number one of Al Qaeda and he was the overlord and he was connected to everybody like they claim still, then why in the hell did we not capture yeah, him and interrogate yeah. <laughs> him? It would have been the most valuable intelligence asset of the, of the 21st century. I mean, right. in their eyes, you know, if you go along with what they believe, but it's just, none of it makes sense when you put it all together. It's, it's just, it's a strange, um, psychological operation. You know, yeah, I, I don't understand. It's, it's just really the rhetoric. It.
1: It's the rhetoric and it's, and it's the unquestioning American people who don't ever question this bizarre rhetoric. That's totally, um, contradictory and hypocritical. I mean, they say one thing, they do another. People just believe it cause it's being said. It's just the weirdest thing. uh, this whole war on terror thing is just like everyone just believes that the government caught bin Laden, killed him, and that it was the right thing to do. No one's questioning anything. I mean, yes, people are questioning. I have the tendency to say nobody and everybody a lot just because it's hyperbolic and we like to. Yeah, but I don't we know. don't really mean it. that. We yeah. don't really mean that. We know that there is a ton, <laughs> there are a ton of people questioning. You know, otherwise we wouldn't be doing what we're doing if we had no faith at all in in the fact that we could take this country back. That's on a side note, so just to throw that out there. But yeah, I mean, I just wish that there were more people questioning. I wish that more people could question just these blanket statements that are totally contradictory coming from the federal government about this whole psyop. And then we just it comes out that he was an active role in he had an active role in Al Qaeda. It's like really, and just this whole Pakistan thing. Nafiz Med made a great point where he was just like. If he was just killed, the Pakistani ISI must have been just monitoring him this whole time. And we've been just paying Pakistan billions of dollars a year we just give Pakistan. We were great friends with um, General Mahmoud Ahmed. We had breakfast with him on 9-11. I mean, we've been very intimately involved in Pakistan for a long time. So you have to ask yourself, did we also know where he was this whole time? And we just decided to strategically strike? It doesn't really make sense to me. It doesn't add up
2: yeah um i mean i don't know if there's really much more to say about i say about bin laden i mean you know uh, the whole thing's a mystery we'll never really know the real details of it because we haven't been shown any evidence from it Uh, maybe eventually we'll have something leak or some sort of photographic evidence or some of this documentation they claim they found of his where he was plotting terrorist attacks i don't know i Mm -hmm. mean at any given time they could release something but you know, I mean, who knows, you know, he's probably dead. Um, and I think Obama actually slipped up in his speech and he said, uh, the capture and killing of Osama bin Laden. I think that we, we intended to kill him. I don't think we ever had any plans to interrogate or capture him. And if you notice, it's very there's very little talk in all these articles about how it was only a contingency plan that we kill him or something. I mean, it seems pretty straightforward that our it was a kill mission. It was a kill right. operation. I mean, we've admitted as such. So there seem to be no plans to actually harness any intelligence he could give us by capturing him. And, you know, if he's really the number one al Qaeda, I, I have a hard time continuing to talk about it, I guess, because yeah. I'm just. I'm overloaded with confusion. Yeah,
1: I know. It's (laughs) It's very confusing. When everyone's saying different things and it's all conflicting, it's hard to know what the hell's really going on. Um, Talking once again about the propaganda and the rhetoric coming from the federal government, let's talk about just the word terrorism again, because you made a great point the other day. Um, Just the fact that we were in a war on terror, and we're talking about terrorism in the sense of Islamic fundamentalists who want to kill Americans and who have no problem killing innocent civilians to try to make a message. So what do we do, though? What does our foreign policy consist of? Our foreign policy consists of killing innocent civilians to spread a message to occupy lands and to steal resources. I mean... It's just amazing to me that we consider and we only call it terrorism when like it's done on a really small level or something. Like well, when just individuals just do something, it's terrorism. But when nations terrorize other nations, is that not terrorism?
2: Well, of course. And, 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 the, and you notice that the word terrorism is extremely interesting when you actually try to label like the timeline of a terrorist, say, for example, the timeline of um, an Iraqi um, teenager who watches family get killed. So when, so the moment when he watches his family get killed, when does he become a terrorist? Um, as soon as he picks up a gun and decides to shoot back uh, at the helicopter that just killed his family. Um, I mean, but if he was white and he picked up a gun and shot at a helicopter that just killed his family, could it be called a terrorist that fast? I don't think so. I think it really is almost exclusively a word used for people with dark skin who are Muslim or Arab and who fight back against Americans in some form or another. I mean, it seems almost exclusively used for that.
1: Yeah, and um, we're, we're such a gung-ho, I mean, and not even a play on words, we really are like a gung-ho nation where we love the right to bear arms, We have we're really strongly adamant about having guns and protecting ourselves, which is great. You know, it stems from the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, guns were very important, and that's why they're in our constitution, the right to bear arms against foreign and domestic enemies. Um, so why doesn't that apply to other countries? This is what I don't understand. If your whole family is killed by some invading or occupying force, like if Blackwater came into our country and just started killing people, um, which we know that they're doing, and you know, not even to mention our armed forces, what they're doing over there, but just private security forces running around the country, assassinating people. If someone came into my house and killed my whole family... Um, I don't I don't see how that's not the right to defend myself it's basically kill or be killed at that point but I would be constituted as a terrorist in this country if I were over there and that's the mentality that I had mm-hmm. it's really really interesting you would think that we would we would almost sympathize or empathize more with these people since we're so like you know we're so like well, once you dehumanize Attimate somebody, yeah.
2: it's hard to sympathize with them. Right. And people are so occupied with their own lives over here in the United States that, I mean, it barely even crosses most people's minds, you know, the plight of people being murdered by their tax dollars. Right. And and I think it's it's really interesting when you try to argue with someone who's, who's I, I've, I've actually had a lot of discussions with mostly liberal people, liberal leaning people who totally believe that the death, that the killing of Osama bin Laden is justified. Um, and basically the arguments go a little something like this. It's like, well, you know, we're fighting a war on terror. So why should we treat him as a criminal and bring him to justice in our courts? He's on international land. And in the war on terror, any area in the world could can be the battlefield because the terrorists can be anywhere. And it's like, well, first of all. You have to ask that person, so are you buying into the idea that you can actually fight a war on a tactic and that you can fight a war on, quote, terror? Um, Do you buy into that idea? Because if they do, then pretty much it's just a cascade of weird manipulative thought traps. That just go downward. It's even and, more and
1: manipulative than communism. Because yeah, communism because at least adhered to certain countries. Because, because like it we meant knew something specific. Yeah.
2: Even though it was used very loosely right. during the McCarthy era, where they would try to paint artists and literary right. figures as communists because they you know, believed in different ideas in the American way or whatever. Terrorism is different because it's... Yeah, I mean, you could use it to describe anything. And then, and then when you go down other legal loophole um, believing things, like when you think, well... Like, this guy I was arguing with was like, Well, Osama was an enemy combatant. He's not a prisoner of war. It's like, Well, I, I was like, Well, you just said we we declared a war on terror. So you're saying that's not a real war? And he's like, Well, they don't fight in uniforms as an army. They're like, um, you know, they're like terrorists. So he's an enemy combatant." And just like the, all these loopholes we've created, yeah, all these yeah. weird WMDs, um, yeah. enemy combatant, uh, harsh interrogation, interrogation techniques. techniques. Uh, <laughs> I mean,
1: just these strange. Words. It's, that it's brainwashing. It is
2: absolute brainwashing.
1: It's total brainwashing. Um, before we move on, I wanted to just talk a little bit about just how the media just unquestioning, how unquestioning they are in terms of the government narrative. They just regurgitate everything the government gives to them. I mean, this well, is like a media fucking frenzy. The media just picks up all this stuff and just runs it.
2: Yeah, it's because it's free work for them. They don't have to do any work. I mean, their jobs are extremely easy once the government just feeds them information on a daily basis. Like, here, here's this press release. Here's this press yeah. release. Here's this anonymous statement from a um, somebody who ordered the Navy SEAL operation. Here's this. Here's this. I mean, that means that they don't have to do anything. All they have to do is just form opinions based on it. And most of their opinions are automatically Based on the faith that the federal government is telling them the truth, so then they base all their opinions. Which off of undermines
1: that. the whole role of what the media is supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be questioning the government, reporting, doing their own investigative yeah. research, and instead they just report and regurgitate news that the media or that the president and federal government give them. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. Pentagon just gives them press releases and they just run them. And that's, it's and that's how it's
2: been for a long time. I mean, watch the movie Control Room, which is a documentary following Al Jazeera's <laughs> coverage of the Iraq war. And basically what you'll see is that they have military headquarters in Qatar that have offices of Fox News, CNN, NBC, um Telemundo, I mean international news. They have their own offices in the military building, where they just walk outside their office door and go to a stage where a soldier talks. Yeah, to it's them. like
1: all inside the green zone. It, no one's so, like. But out this is not
2: even this is not even in Iraq. It's even worse oh, than inside wow. the green zone. It's in another country <laughs> where they like we're learning about the war the war from like. Five hundred miles away. So a
1: Pentagon official or yeah. some sort of military. This person is even will before go to them they embedded troops them. in. Yeah. Oh this my is God. like this is
2: so this is how they operate. I mean they just they pick up the scraps, they take anything, and they don't want to lose access. Why would if you are a reporter and you care about your career and you want to further your career, you are going to want to maintain access to these high. You want to have this exclusive feeling that you are connected to these people at the top. You you are special. You get to deliver this information from the very top of the you know the elite members of the federal government.
1: And it's so disgusting this this whole Bin Laden killing thing. Um, they've now Disney now trademarked the naval squad that supposedly like went in there.
2: Oh yeah, SEAL Team 6. SEAL Team
1: 6, <laughs> they they trademarked that and one of the uses of their trademark was Christmas tree ornaments. So this is this is the extent of just like the commercialization and propaganda how far reaching it is. Like the government says this stupid probably made up or g- grossly exaggerated story of this kill squad that went in there and killed Bin Laden. And yeah, dude, it sounds like a GI Joe episode. And then you have Disney jumping in Picking up the scraps right away and just like trademarking the name. It's just like the let's roll thing. It's just these like weird uh, propaganda like pieces that are just picked up and now we're just going to see like the commercialization of them. It's. Uh-huh. Yeah,
2: commercialization of an assassination, extrajudicial assassination of someone who was never charged with the crime we're assassinating him for. Yeah. And, uh, we're
1: congratulating it. And, in fact, we're giving it to children. They already made an Obama doll, like a Ken doll of Obama, like wearing yeah. a Rambo suit. He's
2: like a mascot. Yeah. And
1: so this whole, the, the Bin Laden compound that he was supposedly killed at, it's just like this treasure trove. It's an it's a magical oracle that can keep. Just for infinity, they can just pull things out of and just say that they found this there, they found that there. This justifies this. This justifies that. This shows that Bin Laden was planning terror. This shows that he was a vain, uh, masturbating, hypocritical Muslim. It's like yeah. my God, they can just keep going and going and going.
2: Yeah, but yet they didn't interrogate him or capture him. But but they want to keep using this stash of information to, <laughs> I mean, continually scare us. And 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 today now I even see that. They're appointing a new head of Al-Qaeda. That Al-Qaeda released a statement saying blankety blank is the new head of Al-Qaeda. <laughs> and uh, Richard Clark and Bill Maher were, were talking on their show last week. And it was like, well, and, and Bill Maher was like, so bin Laden was killed. Um, what do you have to say about that, Richard? And, and Richard Clark is like, well, there's a lot of people who still don't believe it, you know. And uh, and then, uh, But uh, Al-Qaeda did release a statement saying that oh it was true. God. And it's like, that's... That's what you use to fall back on that quote Al Qaeda released a statement. Yeah. When Ben and I did the beheading hoax, um, Al Qaeda, re- quote Al Qaeda released a statement too that they beheaded Ben in a news group or message board. I right. mean, dude, it was fake. Obviously, right. it was Right. Are they just really pulling Al-Qaeda. it from
1: like Kazaa? Like some yeah. guy saying, like, yep, we just appointed a new head of Al Qaeda. It's like they're just pulling this intelligence from places. So really, all you have to do, I mean, we
2: don't encourage anybody to do this because you will get a visit from Homeland Security. But if you want to, <laughs> go on on some sort of arabic um muslim message board and say blah 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 blah. i am so and so from al-qaeda and hell will rain upon you i mean just like you can fake a statement from al-qaeda and and i'm sure ap
1: will pick it up
2: yeah ap or the federal government or somebody will take it seriously because it's gotten to that level of ridiculousness now that it's it's this nebulous group that anybody could say they're a member of i mean And they'll believe you.
1: Absolutely. And this whole war on terror, we're spending almost all of our money on our defense to fight, quote unquote, terrorism. But in the entire extent of the wars going on, I've never really seen any evidence of Al-Qaeda operatives ever being captured, really. Um, You know, we just hear here and there, oh, a a terrorist suspect was captured or uh, a bunch of insurgents or a bunch of terrorists were captured and now they're in Guantanamo. It's like Guantanamo is just this lawless, weird... uh, place that we have no access to that we can't ever prove these statements of true or false so i choose to just not believe i mean i want to see the evidence of these people are really in al-qaeda or some organization that's that's conspiring to plot murder
2: and even if you did see it would it be convincing (laughs) i mean because because it's not again you know we're not saying that al-qaeda is a completely 100 percent fictional entity there are aspects of it which exist but it's not a group like A terrorist organizations that have existed before I mean the u.s. has propped up the Spectre of it and the image of it so much that the way it's described makes it sound about 10,000 times bigger More powerful and more organized than it actually is But the way that they talk about it I mean is completely fake and the way that those pakistani kids described bin laden as being a character To them and the way that the america describes him. He is a character not to say that he's not a real person he obviously really exists but he his his the way he's portrayed has become a character absolutely. like in a story
1: absolutely and richard clark when he was on bill maher's show he was talking about oh you think conspiracy theories are popular here you should see how they are in the muslim world ha ha, ha, ha. just making a big joke out of it and ugh.
2: skepticism makes you a tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorist yep no longer was is it you know if you believe that you know UFOs or the greys are are controlling um you know the united states government and you're conspiracy theorist when you question anything people automatically label you a conspiracy theorist right. laxidical acquiescent people who themselves, I guess, aren't very skeptical, so they almost like, feel ashamed or embarrassed that they're not, so they immediately need to attack people who are by yeah. calling them conspiracy theorists. It's like, well, no, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm just literally not f- having faith in the federal government that <laughs> continuously lies to me. There's a difference. There really is. I mean,
1: I've mean, i noticed that that's happening more and more, too. Yeah, that because it's, jerk.
2: it's a way to... It's just a way... It's an ad hominem attack. It's I a way to not engage in the facts.
1: Before 9-11, I don't really... I mean, I wasn't really, like, that... Uh, I wasn't paying that much attention to the media before 9 eleven but it seems like it's just entered into the the discourse now just like calling people conspiracy theorists on the drop of a hat well I
2: think the worse things get and the more draconian and police yeah. state like the laws get in this country the more you'll see people who are in denial to the very bitter end getting more vocal they'll be like well no this this ruling is is fine you're you're a tinfoil hat wearing idiot if you don't think yeah. it is I mean I mean there's there's so many. Mm -hmm. there will be people who will always deny um, that bad things are happening. Uh, Richard Clark, a little backstory on him, is he was the one who, after almost a whole year of pressure from the 9-11 victims' family members, um, stood up and testified in front of the 9-11 commission and said, we're sorry, I'm sorry. We should have done more to prevent this attack, and blah, blah, blah. And it was the first statement from any official in the United States government uh, that that had anything remotely like culpability and, and and slight guilt or admittance of a problem, and that was what opened the door and was the spark for the incompetence theory, because before that it was like this was a bolt out of the blue. We had no idea this was coming. There was no way we could have known this was coming. And then as soon Richard Clark, as soon as Richard Clark apologized in front of the world, basically, then it was like the incompetence theory is like okay the federal government is just so inept, so bureaucratic that they did have the information, but but they didn't really know at the time that it couldn't connect all the dots together because of blah, 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 blah. the agents Yeah, and I love how he was
1: the one who kind of like took the brunt of that. It was like, they like, I don't know, just yeah. seems so manufactured to me. It was like this guy just comes out and he's like, all right, guys, like, you know. I
2: absolutely agree. I think looking back on it, he is absolutely um, some sort of character in the,
1: official narrative to prop yeah, up absolutely. the incompetence theory. Absolutely. He was the fall guy but then in his book he passed the buck like 50 times on other people. It's mm-hmm. just like I mean so no one really ever took responsibility Yeah his book Against like, All
2: Enemies um, you know it's one of those like great liberal fodder novels that makes people who hate Republicans and who hated Bush feel really good about themselves and like that they believe in the right side of things. And he also wrote a follow up book called The Scorpion's Gate which is just fictional, it's not its not supposed to be based on a real account. It's like a fictional story about um, some CIA agent who's trying to stop a terrorist attack of terrorists taking over an oil rig and like crashing it into a port. Hmm,
1: interesting. So now he's just a fisch- fictional author just selling books. Like, yeah,
2: like John Grisham or something. That's great. Um, <laughs> And is he, yeah, he's just, he's just a chill. And Stephen Colbert. In, Remind in me his, never to read that. Yeah, and in, in his early seasons, I think it was like in his first season of his show, interviewed Richard Clark. And he says, Isn't this whole falling out that you had with Bush and then you subsequently coming out and saying that we didn't do everything we could and uh, everything just really, really deep covered to create a smokescreen <laughs> to make it look like the, the da, da da da? Okay, I've got a theory about you, sir. Hmm? You are the counterterrorism czar. Then you had a very public falling out with the White House. Then they criticized you and impugned your character. And now you're a public gadfly of the administration. Isn't this just deep cover? Isn't this sort of black op stuff? Aren't you just a red herring out there to try to smoke out America's enemies now?
0: Well, if I were, you just destroyed it.
2: Yeah. I tell you what, if you are... Deny it. It's not true, loud and clear. <laughs> okay.
1: Tell me about- yeah, and I and I think
2: actually, even though Colbert was probably joking, he totally hit the nail on the head right. as to exactly what Richard Clark's role was. That's hilarious. So Chris Hedges came out with this article on May 16th um, called "The Obama Deception: Why Cornell West Went Ballistic," and it's just a series of quotes and and uh a compilation of different things corn West has been saying about Obama lately after he's had his, basically, uh, after he's come out of his slumber of being an Obama supporter. Mm-hmm. He even went on 65 campaign uh, stops for Obama before Obama got elected. And now he's saying things like, Obama is a black mascot of Wall Street oligarchs and a black puppet of corporate Plutocrats and now he has become head of the American killing machine and is proud of it.
1: It's fantastic
2: So it's an extremely harsh but very valid criticism of Obama. Um, I think he really Described it perfectly right there.
1: Yeah, he really did and we'll link that to this article right now on the timeline Check out the SoundCloud timeline for all the the links that we're talking about and just resources and, and music that we've been playing um, yeah, Cornell West just hits it on the head. And it's just he, to me, is a very critical and intelligent person. Yes, he definitely bought into the whole Obama hype, you know, him and Obama were close friends. I understand, you know, his excitement that a, that a brother like he keeps calling in, him in this article, got into office, you know, and, and I understand getting sucked into that. But like any rational, sane person, he's seen the betrayal on numerous levels from the Obama presidency and the backpedaling on, on all the promises that he set out to do. Um, so naturally, he's he's saying, he's being vocal about it and saying that he doesn't support him anymore. This is how, I mean, I, I, what I don't understand is that people who do support him still and are still rationalizing well, it's His the people actions. who can't
2: admit that he's been a huge disappointment, and that he's that you know to a lot of people. Instead, it seems like people who voted for him and who supported him, it's like they go from defending him, and they don't move to the they they don't they don't ever experience the like reconciliation, like facing the truth phase of it. They only go from you know defending him to just like denial, and then like apathy. Like they don't go to like a reconciliation process where they're like, you know what. I was kind of sucked into it and I'm not going to vote for him again. You know, I don't support him. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it just seems like people go from saying, well, you know, he well he's doing the best he can. I think he did a lot of good things. And then when you, when you show them that he's doing a lot of bad things and they just immediately go to, well, you know, the president's, you know, can't do anything a bad anyways. Hand. Yeah. The president's has just been giving a bad hand. Like, um, you know, our whole government's messed up or whatever. Instead of saying, you know, he really misled us, you know, I'm really disappointed him. Um, when I, what I, which I do think is, which is necessary to do to really face what's going on. I mean, you can't hide from that fact. I mean, sure. You can say that everybody should have seen this coming. Everybody should have known he was going to be a disappointment. Sure. But I mean, A lot of young people got duped into it. A lot of people got sucked into it. And then now they're just sitting you know, with this president in office who's doing nothing that he promised he'd do, and they're sitting there waiting and they're going to be told to vote for him again in 2012 and start campaigning for him again and start canvassing for him again. His
1: new campaign slogan is going to be, we don't know if we can unless you reelect me.
0: (laughs) I will promise you this, that if we have not gotten our troops out by the time I am president, It is the first thing I will do. I will get our troops home. We will bring an end to this war. You can take that to the bank. When I promise that we are going to bring this war in Iraq to a close in 2009, I want the American people to understand that I opposed this war in 2002, 2003, 4, 5, 6, and 7. So you can have confidence that I will be serious about ending this war. Iran, they spend one one-hundredth of what we spend on the military. Iran, Cuba, Venezuela, these countries are tiny compared to the Soviet Union. They don't pose a serious threat to us. I think it's time for us to end a part of Cuba. Uh, and I think uh, that we have to end it because if you think about what's happening internationally. Close down Guantanamo. Restore habeas corpus, say no to renditions, no to wireless wiretaps. I have said repeatedly that I intend to close Guantanamo, and I will follow through on that. Uh, I've said repeatedly that America doesn't torture, and I'm going to make sure that we don't torture. Uh, those are uh, those are part and parcel of an, an effort to regain uh, America's moral stature in the world. And as president... I'm going to make it impossible for congressmen or lobbyists to slip cork-barrel projects or corporate welfare into laws when no one's looking, because when I'm president, meetings where laws are written will be more open to the public, no more secrecy. That's a commitment I make to you as president. When there's a tax bill being debated in Congress, you will know the names of the corporations that would benefit and how much money they would get. And we will put every corporate tax break and every pork barrel project online for every American to see. You will know who asked for them and you can decide whether your representative is actually representing you. Worn out old theory that says, that says we should give more to billionaires and big corporations and hope that prosperity trickles down on everybody else. the last thing the last thing we can afford is four more years where no one in Washington is watching anyone on Wall Street it's been a long time coming but tonight because of what we did on this day in this election at this defining moment change has come to america
1: um i want to read a i want to read a paragraph really quickly from from Cornell West. It's actually Chris Hedges who wrote the, you know, wrote about Cornell West's scathing critique of Obama. So it's just excellent all around. I mean, Chris Hedges is the man. But this is a quote from Cornell West. I was thinking maybe he has at least some progressive populist instincts that could become more ma- manifest after the cautious policies of being a senator and working with Joe Lieberman as his mentor. He says. But it became very clear when I looked at the neoliberal economic team. The first announcements of Summers and Geithner, I went ballistic. I said, "Oh my God, I have really been misled at a deep level," and this is true for Dennis Ross and other neo-imperial elites. Um, I have been thoroughly misled. I have been thoroughly misled, and all this populist language is just a facade. I was under the impression that he might bring in the voices of Brother Joseph Stiglitz. Yeah, Stiglitz, yeah right, and Brother Paul Krugman. I figured, okay, given the structure of constraints of the capitalistic democratic procedure, that's probably the best he could do. Uh, But at least he would have some voices concerned about working people, dealing with issues of jobs and downsizing and banks, some semblance of democratic accountability for Wall Street oligarchs and corporate plutocrats. I was completely wrong. And then at the very end of the article, he just says, you know, he basically says that we need to form a third party, that the Democrats have failed us. Um, and that they don't care about the people at all. Um, and he says our last hope is to generate a democratic awakening among our fellow citizens. This means raising our voices very strong and loud, bearing witness individually and collectively. Civil disobedience, beginning with ways for both of us to get arrested, to galvanize attention to the plight of those in prisons, in the hood, in poor right communities. We must never give up. We must never allow hope to be eliminated or suffocated. Very strong words coming from Cornell West, um, And he just says we have have to attempt to get to the truth. The truth is painful. It's a truth that's against the thick lies of the mainstream. And in telling the truth, we become so maladjusted to the prevailing injustice that the Democratic Party more and more is not just spineless as it was before, but thoroughly complicitous with some of the worst things in the American empire. I don't think in good conscience I could tell anybody to vote for Obama. If it turns out in the end that we have a crypto-fascist movement and the only thing standing between us and fascism is Barack Obama, then we have to put our foot on the brake. We've got to seriously start thinking about third-party candidates, third formations, and third parties. Boom. Um,
2: and I think in, in the article he says that he got some signs from the White House that he wasn't welcomed anymore um, by them and they didn't really like what he had to say anymore when he compared... He was trying to compare positively Malcolm X to uh, Michelle Obama and say that Michelle Obama can do things for the ghetto and and the black communities, like she can go visit the ghetto, she can go visit prisons, Um, she can go visit people or communities that have to do with issues that other presidents are too afraid to focus on or too afraid to go for. Um, And then he he also says... um, Quote, I think my dear brother, Barack Obama, has a certain fear of free black men. It's understandable. As a young brother who grows up in a white context, brilliant African father, he's always had a fear of being a white man with black skin. So...
1: He's out of touch with the black community. I mean, just because he's black, he's really...
2: (laughs) I do think think that people were, were a little bit mis... He was misrepresented. I mean... I mean, not to say that he isn't black. I mean, I can't. I'm not one to to say that. That's that's his own choice to make. What how he labels himself. What I am saying though is that Obama was not raised by a family who went through the Jim Crow laws, who's has a family history in slavery. Um, they he isn't connected to that directly. Michelle Obama is, on the other hand, but she's not the president. Um, right. And I think people misrepresent Obama's blackness and what that could mean for the country I mean because to be honest he doesn't come from the same background as most people who experience the black plight in this country
1: right he doesn't come from a history of slavery or I mean he was he was raised in a pretty privileged
2: exactly family exactly
1: um, but yeah I mean it goes along with uh, I've heard a lot of people tell me that actually I've heard a lot of people kind of defend him my friend who works at KPFA she's an African-American woman and I was telling her just about all these things that are happening, and she was just like, well, Obama's, you know, that's not his fault or whatever, and I was like, but he is an elitist, you know? I mean, he, if you look at his upbringing, I mean, he's hes a Harvard graduate. I mean, he is in the elite, um, and she was just like, he can't be an elitist, he's black. So. And she's a very intelligent woman. I mean, she's a reporter. I'm just like, what? Like, that's just a really weird mentality. And and, and Cornell West kind of was was victim to that same mentality at the beginning. Absolutely.
2: And I think a lot of, I mean, a lot of white people were as well, I and mean, mostly white people. That was those. That's the continuity in the population that got him into office. What it shows is that we shouldn't be distracted by someone's skin color right. or their sexuality or their gender as a reason to vote them into office. While it would be nice to have you know, more of a variety of ethnicities and, and things in high public offices. I think it's more important what those people's actual beliefs are, what their histories oh, you think? are. think? Mean, I
1: mean, it's just <laughs> yeah. like, my I God. I mean, I'm saying something
2: so ridiculously obvious, but it seems like too often we get bogged down in this excitement over, for instance, Elena Kagan. I mean, it was like the one of the only positive arguments for her getting into the Supreme Court that, that people tried to make was that she didn't allow military recruiters on the Harvard campus while she was like the the head of it or whatever because she there was a suspicion that she was homosexual and that she didn't want them to and she actually said she didn't want the military recruited there because they don't allow gays in the military now keep in mind she has never come out of the closet as a homosexual so number one she's not doing really great things for the gay community just right out of the gates I mean she's not saying she's holding a high position but she's right. Hiding her sexuality. If she really is lesbian, I'm not saying that she is for certain, but that's kind of the prevailing story out there is that she has been a lesbian for a long time. She's, she's secretly on the side of, of gays and and whatnot,
1: but look at her actually, look at her actual
2: ruling and she she, her previous job was arguing on behalf of the federal government to the Supreme Court, and now she's a Supreme Court justice. It's, a, to me, a big conflict of interest. Right. It's like someone from Goldman Sachs going into the Treasury. It's the same level of corruption, but not like total illegality, but unethical um, yeah, revolving transfer door. Transfer position. Mm-hmm. And, and Sonia Sotomayor de Mayur, um, is Hispanic. She's talked about being for the plight of ethnic groups and so on. But if she is, then she should have seen this new case, uh, the Kentucky versus... King? <laughs> yeah, the Kentucky versus King case and seen that it was obviously an unfair, unjust ruling and she should have voted against it. I mean... But I don't know. I mean, I don't know her legal history. But I all I know is more about her own ethnic background, because that's what was kind of more focused on by the media instead of her actual judicial ruling history.
1: It's pretty genius, you know. As we're talking about the the Cornell West thing and just Obama in general, his his blackness and brotherhood, quote unquote. Uh, it is just genius marketing to push us to the brink with Bush and make everyone think that we're just completely reversing all progressive policies in the country, and then just to like. Just this black guy who just says all these amazing things. And we're, we're actually going to play some of the things that he said on the run-up of his campaign in 2007 and, and eight. And it's fascinating to hear him. Um, and it's really mesmerizing, too. You're just like, wow, this man is so intelligent. You remember how... Captivating. Yeah. And, like, I don't know. And I thralling mean, his it, whole message was. His
2: speeches sound exciting. They get you...
1: And, like, what better way just to make people be like, man, like, what better way to put the country back on track than to elect a black man who is just this smart?
2: And on a base level, I do think that that was really the motivating factor for people voting for him. Because they were able to overlook a lot of the hints that he wasn't going to be a progressive in, in his campaign.
1: Right. This whole, I mean, it reminds me of good cop, bad cop. Uh, Just like the whole interrogation techniques of good cops and bad cops, the whole point is for you to trust the good cop and to get you to tell... All of your secrets and like everything that you know to the good cop, and to be like totally turned off. And it just reminds me of Democrats and Republicans, people who buy into this whole false dichotomy that you need to support Democrats just because the Republicans scare you and put fear in your mind. It's just like the bad cop good cop thing. It's like no, you shouldn't just inherently trust anyone. Just think about the the ploy. It's a tactic. It's a manipulative psychological tool that the Republicans just fear monger you and. I mean, a lot of a lot of people on the more liberal side that we know just kind of knee jerk toward the Democratic Party because they think that they they just aren't the Republicans. And they're like, well, I can trust them. At least they at least they have good intentions. At least they're working in the right direction. You're like, but what actually is showing you that other than small eeks? I mean, nothing. Well,
2: like we said on our first episode, it's like for every one single positive step Obama takes, like finally repealing Don't Ask, Don't Tell, he takes about 10 steps backwards yeah. in terms of progressiveness. I mean, that's yeah. the that's the, the distraction. I mean, as all these bad things are happening, these Supreme Court rulings, these new laws, this extension of the Patriot Act, a new war in Libya, um, a, a gearing up to a new war in Pakistan, we're... You know, he killed Bin Laden, and we, all we that got stuff him. is erased. Yeah, but we got but him. We got
1: him. Yeah. And and look at the continuity of government too. We kept on Robert Gates.
2: Unprecedented move. Unprecedented I don't think in the history move. of the United States that has been done before. Correct and, me if I'm wrong, out there, listeners. But um, that's to me pretty major. Keeping yeah, on Bush's he, Secretary of Defense. And
1: and and Robert Gates was like the main proponent of the troop surge, the failed troop surge in 2004 for the Iraq War.
2: And he also kept Bernanke. Yeah, people don't remember that. That it was Bush who appointed Bernanke to the Federal Reserve, and now he's still in. He reappointed him.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of continuity of government. A lot of you know, we have the the lobbyists from Raytheon working in in Obama's cabinet. We have a guy who tried to engineer. He was the first person to engineer bovine growth hormone in his state. A big Monsanto dude biotech guy heading the Department of Agriculture it's just like if you just actually just look at the people who are in charge and what their histories are Larry
2: Summers Tim Geithner yeah I mean just those people we just mentioned are really bad on their own I mean they really are I mean they have a history of of criminality rampant criminality but they're in that upper echelon of the two tier justice system where they will never be prosecuted for their crimes because they're protected by the elite classes in this country
1: yeah and and this whole pitting one side against each other, it's so funny to me because it's so obvious to us, at least, and I know a lot of other people, too, that the real people that we should be fighting against are the ultra-uber elite, the top point whatever 1% of this of this country or of the elites in the world that control almost everything. What is it, like 100,000 people who pretty much own the majority of the wealth in the well, entire planet? I think it's
2: like the top 1% controls more wealth than the lower 90%. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And yet we have all these people arguing about welfare and just these weird just like this this propaganda that pits the democrats and republicans against each other on these issues that
2: that pits that pits the little guy against yeah, another little yeah, guy totally. instead of both sides coming together and going you know what we need to we need to come together and and get over some of our differences and realize that it is these big wall street bankers and the federal government and this war machine that is basically sucking us dry and, and destroying this country.
1: Yeah, it's it's that premise that we should be undermining. It's like, why are we engaged in these wars? Why are we engaged in these conflicts? Why are we spending all our money on this? And why are we distracted by? Yeah, we're we're arguing about healthcare. It's very important. Yeah. I think that we should have healthcare in this country, but to to argue about that as if it's like we can't afford it, is totally insane. Yeah,
2: I mean, who's really causing more damage in this country? I mean, people who, it's just like another, you could you could inverse it, it's like um, Republicans are made to, you know, hate illegal immigrants and, um, and, and people who don't speak English and things like that. And uh, liberals, on the other hand, are made to hate Christian people and people who are in the South, you know, like um, people who hold conservative values. I mean, so... We're, we're focusing on the wrong thing to hate in right, my opinion I right. mean, absolutely, the people causing the most damage are the people with the most wealth I and mean, it's just they behind really the
1: scenes it's just that they put these debates out there like immigration for example I, I lived in San Diego for 8 years and there was a ton of people that I encountered that just hated Mexican people um, said that they were stealing our jobs they were ruining the economy and this is just a perfect issue that goes along with, with this whole thing it's like why are we focusing on yeah I mean why don't we look at the drug war and like the fact that we're <laughs> the fact that we're keeping Mexico down and like controlling the drug war and and these immigration policies that we have it just seems so I don't know it's just it's just ridiculous it's like yeah the little guys should band together and just like that little picture of the fish all the little school of fish needs to band together and eat the big fish (laughs) you know I mean we're just sitting here arguing with each other about just these minuscule things that in the long run they don't really matter because if we keep spending this money on defense then our country's gonna go bankrupt it already is
2: it's just more of the same shit (laughs)
1: I encourage everyone once again to check out mediaroots.org. Check out our SoundCloud timeline to reference all of the music and links that we talk about in the show. And thanks so much for listening. Have a great day, everyone.